Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And now, ladies and gentlemen, episode 35 of Bashmania, the podcast where you get to hear stories and insight from the best wrestlers in the world. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. It surely shouldn't disappoint with two-time world bronze medalist Nick Gwizdowski on the show. Nick has made three straight world teams, and he's looking to make the fourth in less than two months as he goes for his first Olympic team. Nick is more often a quiet guy, which we get into on the show. And when you're quiet in a sport like wrestling, a very what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sport, you don't get nearly as much recognition, and it also leaves much to wonder. So I'm really happy to dive into this conversation with Nick and get his perspective on both his successes and the failures. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, YouTube. And if it's Apple, leave a five-star rating and review if you so please. With all that said, let's dive into this conversation with Gwiz. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild on you? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. All right, we've got two-time world bronze medalist Nick Gwizdowski. How are you, Nick? I'm doing good. How's it going, Justin? It's going good, man. You actually got a slew of titles. Like, as we were just kind of talking about, like I'd like to do a deep dive before anybody comes on the show. And I'm looking through yesterday, going over some stuff, and I'm like, okay, he's a two-time world bronze medalist, two-time NCAA champion, two-time U.S. Open champion, two-time Pan Am champion, um, two-time New York State champion, I think. Two is, like, one of your lucky numbers, it seems. And it's 2020, so that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess maybe there is a little correlation between twos, but I'm going to make it three this year. So I like it. And, you know, going going back to, like, your, your high school career, and – I forgot that you wrestled in New York State. I mean, I live in Rochester, New York. So, yep. you know, I I know how tough it is in, in New York. And I'm curious, you know, to kind of start this off with, with your high school career, I'm curious of what led you, in, in your opinion, to having such a good high school career. And, you know, one of the things that I saw, I went to Spencerport High School, and a lot of the kids I wrestled with that I think had a lot of potential, they got, just got, they got burned out. You know, they, they whether it was weight cutting, whether it was pressure. Um, I'm curious both how you think you what led you to have such a good high school career, and then how you didn't burn out and continued it. Um, good question. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Spenceport is definitely good. Rochester's got a lot of good schools out there. Um, we I was I went to Dwayneburg High School, and that's a that's a Division two school. Yep. Um, but Section Five would always have really tough wrestlers. Um, section five and section yeah. four down in the Binghamton area. Um, I'm trying to think, man. I, I, I started wrestling in like first grade. Uh, maybe, yeah, first grade. And it would just be at the youth, at the, like the school rec program for a couple months, maybe two months. Yep. And then, um, I think it was fifth or sixth grade. I started going to the, the mini men program that journeyman has. And that was, um, 
maybe four months, a little more serious, two or three days a week. And then I started going to journeyman, uh, like the high school program full time in, in seventh grade or end of my seventh grade year. So before my eighth grade year. Yep. Um, and I had a, I had a group of friends that I would go with that were a couple years older than me, one or two years older than me. And we would go every, every time I was practicing so about three times a practice, three times a week. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. My parents were awesome supporters of it. I never, um, growing up, like I've never went to like any national tournaments or stuff sure. like that. Um, especially youth. I went to the Gene Mills tournament one year and got my ass kicked. <laughs> uh, so that was kind of like, all right, back to the, back to the local tournaments. Right. Um, uh, but I did, I did well in the local tournaments and stuff. Um, but then, uh, high school, I started wrestling varsity when I was in eighth grade. I wrestled 152. Um, I made it to sectionals. Uh, I think I placed fifth maybe at the sectional tournament when I was in eighth grade. Um, and then uh, the second year I took second. And then uh, the following three years I, I won it at uh, 189 and then 215 for two years. Um, but I had, a, I had a really good high school coach, Coach Joe Benna, um, who coached a handful of other Division One wrestlers and um, – Coached Andy Sarris and Jeff Blatnick, and um, actually coached uh, my high school, my college coach Pat Papalizio. Yep. Um, just had an awesome impact on my career, and um, someone actually reminded me of it the other day, and I, I said I was, I was thinking about it to myself. I was like, that's probably the most fun I've ever had in wrestling. Like, I have a lot of fun with what I do. Sure. I'm very lucky to do it. Um, but just at a point where like your results don't matter. Um, because you're the underdog every time and you're hanging out with other kids in your school, but all of them are older than you. So, you know, when you're 14 hanging out with a 17, 18 year old is like, right. Cool. <laughs> right. And you're going on bus trips with these guys yep. and, and you learn a lot. And, and those are things I really enjoy when I look back at them. Um, so that, that was probably the, the part of my time where I really enjoyed wrestling. I enjoyed all through college too, of course, but I, I never like, not at one point was like, this is my dream to wrestle division one that kind of became possible, not possible, but like in the, in the realm of like, Oh, this is what it is. Um, probably my like end of my sophomore year and maybe my beginning of my junior year. Um, my club coach, Frank Pop is like, Hey, there's a, there's a, you know, division one coaches, you're on the radar and this and that. I was like, Oh wow. That's, that's pretty cool. Right. You know, like, and then like my, my dad would find out, I was like, you're gonna pay for your college? No way. That's awesome. Let's do that. <laughs> totally. So And then right. from from a standpoint of you only lost like a couple matches in high school, right? Um I I lost a, a few more. So I when I wrestled in eighth grade, I think I lost maybe like fifteen matches. Okay. Um and then my freshman year I lost nine. And then I lost one my junior year, and then I was undefeated my senior year. Okay. And did you feel, so, as you started to get undefeated, did you feel more pressure? Like, at what point did you know you were going to go to Binghamton? And did you start feeling pressure? Like, okay, I got to get better because now I'm going to start wrestling, you know, at the collegiate level, which is, you know, such a such a bigger talent pool where I feel like the, the talent just, you know, continues to jump levels. Like, did you start feeling pressure? No, not really. Like, all, all throughout high school, for the most part, I was wrestling kids older than me. Being a, an eighth grader or a freshman, 
right. dressing 152, 160, like you're wrestling kids with tattoos and armpit hair, facial hair, like, <laughs> right. And then eventually, by my senior year, um, I was crushing people. Like I, I actually pinned everyone my senior year before the third period. So I went like 49 and 0 with like 40 pins before the second uh, third Damn. period. That was. Um, my coach would actually just kind of let me know, like, hey, you know, second period's coming to an end. Like, finish this off. <laughs> right. Um, but no, I, I didn't. I didn't really notice it like that. Um, and I, I honestly, I had no clue what to expect when I got to college. I, I, I probably thought those guys were a lot better than they were, just because, you know, I, there maybe there's a handful of guys I wrestled against. Um, at either. Well, Fargo, there was a couple guys that I outplaced that went on to Division One, and, you know, were, were placing at tournaments and stuff like that. So I was like, all right, well, like, I placed higher this guy, and, and he's doing pretty good in college. Um, so, you know, I, I belong in here somewhere. Um, but then when I got to my freshman year of college, I, I didn't really wrestle anyone higher than – well, I wrestled um, wrestled Ryan Flores from American University, and, and he, like, made a decision me, and he was ranked, like, number two in the country. So going into the nationals, I I was ranked like twentieth, nineteenth. I had a decent record. I just didn't wrestle anyone in sure. lower than like higher ranked than like nineteenth and then two. Right. So like I didn't really know what that uh, range was to to all American there, and my coach was just real positive about it. Like you can, you know, you you're in this mix. I'm like, am I? You tell me. I, you know, I'll I'll say I believe it, but I I have no no proof to base off of. Right. Is that what led uh, you to NC State? Like, what led you from Binghamton to NC State? Uh, following that year, we finished, as a team, we finished 14th in the country. Uh, we had two All-Americans. Um, I think we had, like, six six qualifiers or something, too. Um, and the head coach, Pat Poppins, we got hired here at NC State. And um, him and Frank Beasley came down to NC State, and those were kind of my guys. They were my guys, so that was kind of the – the next move for me and it was, a, it was a big step for me at the age of 19 like sure i don't know anyone here and i only know two guys here so um it was definitely a big step and it was it was pretty hard for a year redshirting here and you know i don't i don't know anyone here i don't know anyone at the school um i don't know anyone at the team i didn't really get along with anyone on the like not get along but we weren't like buddies with anyone on the team so it was a it was a long like year and a half until um Till I, till I was able to wrestle, and when I was able to wrestle, I really used that to my advantage to, or I, I looked forward to that time as like, okay, when I can start, um, that's when I'll get to know people, and right. that's when people will know me, because I know I'm going to do well. I'm going to do well, like, and, and that's how I'll meet new people. Um, so that once, once that started, and I became more well-known, like, that, I was much easier on myself at least knowing people around around town and around campus. And then you obviously jump such levels, you know, then shortly thereafter you're a two-time NCAA champion. Like, What do you think led you to having such a nice jump um, and, and just getting better and continuing to, you know, have such dominance? Like, what do you think contributed the most to that at that point where, you know, you had such a great high school career and then even coming in as a freshman, you know, you're – you're still feeling good, but then you obviously jump levels to become an NCAA champion and do it twice. What do you think helped lead to that? 
Yeah, um, I, I registered my first year here. Uh, there's a good amount of development. I wrestled a lot of open tournaments and um, wrestled at the U.S. Open and the World Team Trials, and I, I took fourth at the trials. Um, it, it was it was a combination of things, and and then in 2014, uh, the Big Ten was actually really deep with heavyweight. Yeah, um, with Nelson and Telford and um, Mike McMullen and Indiana had a good wrestler, uh, Adam Chalfant, and then Connor Medbury was at Wisconsin. Um, so it was it was fairly deep. Um, and, those, and those guys at that time were, were two-time All-Americans, two- or three-time All-Americans. Um, so, you know, and I just, I just kept working hard all year. It was just, you know, that's kind of my thing is just do what I need to do. Um, and, you know, you go to these big terms, you don't – it's not a round robin with eight hammers. You know, you got to beat two and a half, maybe three guys that are, that are quality sure. and that higher quality. So, um, I don't know, man. I look back, I was definitely, it was definitely awesome. And uh, a little bit that year I was, I was underdog um, a little bit just because I, I had the lack of, uh, you know, some of the competition against those sure. guys. I think I was, a, I was a two seed at the nationals, but um, I had a win over Mike McMullen. I had lost to Adam Coon. So, and I lost to Nelson. So I put myself right in that mix with guys. Um, then into my, my junior year, just have that experience. And I understood guys were going to come a little different at me and um, had to be prepared and, and continuously worked hard. And my coaches helped me get better in the positions I needed to and put the pieces around me that I needed to, to improve on. And um, I always had great, great focus when I'm, when I'm preparing for things and, and eliminating um, uh, distractions and stuff sure. like that. So, and I was kind of all through my, even into my senior year outside of that, you know, the match with Kyle and Kyle's a phenomenal wrestler. So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change the thing that I did. And that's what I was going to ask you next. Like I've heard you talk before, you know, about your preparation and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the world championships in a few minutes, but even, you know, thinking about the Snyder match, like it's always obviously frustrating and disappointing to lose. And, you know, you, you have that path where sophomore, junior year, NCAA champion, kind of top of the world, and then you go out with that one loss. And, you know, I've, I've heard you kind of talk about it before where it's like, I, I wouldn't have really done anything different. I put the prep work in, I focused, but I feel like a lot of guys aren't that headstrong where if they lose, it's like, I should have done this differently. I didn't prepare. Maybe it was my diet. Like, how do you come to terms with it right after and keep moving on? Like, you had no time to dwell in that loss. Like, you you went right into the – I mean, you were already at the World Team Trials, you know, for a couple of years. So so it wasn't – you dove right into the senior level full time, and you had no time to dwell on that. How do you kind of regain that perspective right away and not dwell on the loss too much? You know, and being – kind of being satisfied and, and uh, you know, happy with your success you had and not hung up on, on any, either whether it's one loss or a group of losses or whatever it might be. Yeah, I, I um, that's a good way to put it. I guess it, it comes from knowing that, like, I'm, I'm very lucky and, and grateful to be where I am, and I've worked very hard to get here too. Um, and knowing that when I, when I put in – you can you can do everything right, yep. 
and you're not always going to get what you want. And that's just, that's just sports, right? Like you could do everything perfect and, and errors are bound to be made by someone sometime, or, you know, you just weren't the better guy that day. That's, that's right. kind of like the bottom line. Like, you know, ask anyone, like you, you spend years and years working on your craft and you know, there's a guy better than you at it. Um, even if you, for one day, it, <laughs> for, it could be one second. Right. You know? Um, and that's kind of where I was with this ladder match, you know, like when I was prepared and everything. And when we found out he was coming out of red shirt, you know, we, we continued to prepare and got better at my positions. And, um, yeah, he, he got up from bottom a little sooner than we probably wanted. And he got to an ankle pick that we stopped for seven minutes. Right. He got to it in overtime. So it's like, you know, never, ever, never, it's, things never end. You know, sure. always perfect. And um, I walked off the mat and I was exhausted, tired because I did everything I could. And it's not like I cut corners in my training or uh, gave up in the match. You know, I got my leg in a good position and uh, scored on it. So, yeah, would I want to change it? No, but I'm not going to, you know, walk around with a right. face afterwards <laughs> because, like, darn, I was a four time All American and I wrestled in the finals three times. And, Right. Put on an awesome match and, and I won two national championships also. Like I gotta be grateful for those things and I took advantage of the opportunities I had when um when when I when I was in those positions. So And and when you you know, and, and speaking of like jumping right into the senior level right after that, like from two thousand thirteen to two thousand sixteen, while you're having such an incredible NCAA career you're you're still right there at the world level. Like you were third, second, third, fourth, I think. Um, from 2013. Um, 2000- I got I got to correct that. Now. I was actually fourth every year. Oh really? At the trials, yes. Um, I would either lose to Dom, Zach Ray, or Tyrell Fortune uh, for third every year. So wow. Okay. Yeah, it was wrong there. So, but I, I'm curious, like when you. You have those finishes, and so you're used to the senior level. But then after 2016, you graduate, you don't make the Olympic team, and then you kind of get back to work. And ever since then, you've, you've made the world team every year, right? You're, you're looking for fourth straight here as you try to make your first Olympic team. What do you think help, helped you make that jump on the freestyle senior level scene like do you think it's that you didn't have to worry about college or folk style do you think it's that you just got better like what happened in that switch from 2016 and 2017 um part of it is yeah that that not having uh wrestle folk style that made a big difference in terms of just um mat savviness and you know i wasn't losing these matches to those guys by a lot it was a head pinch a push out you know, a throw, like, I wasn't getting smoked in these matches. Right. So, like, I was in them. It was just these things that those guys do year-round in training, and I would do them for three months and then go to the trials. Um, So I I always knew, like, I'd be very well in the mix once I got these things, once you got these things down pat. So after after that was done, I went to – I just became more more focused on those things, like fanatic about keeping my feet in bounds and 
clearing out a front headlock. And when I get to the leg, I'm in tight. My head's up. Um, things I, I still do to this day and still try to get better at because, you know, you could be the best in the world at things and still lose head on. Right. So, totally. Um, always trying to get better at those things. But I, I improved them enough to, to beat those guys in our country. Um, and and then I'm pretty good at them in the world. They just need to continue to improve on them. So, um those are those are important things for me that I knew that I needed to improve on and um I worked on with my coaches and, and uh I kinda of felt like it was, you know, four years of being fourth is enough. Right. Um so I was I was done with that and that was not gonna happen again. Yeah, I gotta have USA wrestling update that because on the Team USA website that's where I got the third, second, third, fourth from. That's um that's annoying. Yeah, no, I, I wish. <laughs> was, uh, those are all fourth place finishes. And I'm curious too, like, you know, it, it's obviously nice to not be in class anymore and not have to focus on folk style. But, you know, one thing I'm, I'm curious about, and, and I have, this is the 35th episode of this show, and I, I really can't believe I haven't asked this yet to anyone, but what was the attention transition like? You know, NCAA Wrestling Championships is one of the greatest events in wrestling. I feel like, Every casual fan, every college fan, every high school fan, everybody tunes in. And it's almost like the pinnacle of the sport. And you go from being in the NCAA finals for three years to competing on the senior level where you're in like back gyms in Budapest, Hungary, right? And even the world championships, yeah. I don't think there's more than like... I don't know, one to 2,000 people there maybe? Like, what was that like to go? And I know that's why so many people keep, you know, mentioning about, like, wanting to go to MMA because that spotlight's there in the bigger arenas. And with wrestling, it's kind of funny. You you get past the NCAA level, and now you're going for a World and Olympic Championship, and you start getting less attention. What was that attention like leaving college where you did have so much of a spotlight on you, just the, the way the NCAA goes? Um. It's very true. Like the better you get, the more obscure places and right. uh, you know less fans for the most part. Most tournaments you have, um, you know, in in college, I definitely had my own. Um, I, I was one of the the figures of when I was coming through, just because of the. I I think I won eighty eight straight matches through my sophomore and senior year, so. There was a lot of lot of spotlight on what I was doing, and then of course the match with Kyle and and all that stuff. But then once you got to the senior level, you know, you're up there with guys like Jordan and like Kyle again, and Jaden and David and Dake, and yep. you know, James Green's already got two world teams at that point. So um, just it, it's easier to blend in, and, and uh, people that know me and, and know me in this pretty well like i really don't have a problem blending in sometimes um I, I, sometimes i i enjoy there being um bigger figures around me to where yeah yeah talk to them and i'm gonna go grab my stuff and head on out right <laughs> yeah um, i'm the same that's way just, that's just me sometimes you know people yeah people tell me oh you should do this you should do that I'm like honestly like you know I, i'm i like to compete and i like to wrestle and i like to be as best as i can at this sport um and I, you know, those other things, they're, they're good if they come to me, but I don't always need to pursue all of them. Yeah. Um, and it's just, this is how I am, whether it's good or bad, sometimes how I view things. For sure. And, you know, speaking of the world championships too, like I'm curious, both, you know, 
really all your different world championships have kind of different stories that I've heard, but I'm curious of, of two different specific kind of storylines in particular. One is, I think it was 2017 when you had that you dislocated your thumb right before uh, the world championships and you hurt your ankle at the Eight. world championships. It was 18, yeah, right? Eight. Budapest? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I'm so curious because I, I – was listening to a podcast you were on you you told that story about you know both not having that full grip on your thumb and then hurting your ankle and you saying the pain was a nine out of ten um that night when you had to go wrestle the next day and i'm just so curious how do you move on at that point when you're like i mean the, i don't know if everybody listens heard the story but basically you couldn't even get out of bed to go to the bathroom and here you had to go wrestle the next day i feel like most people would throw the towel in how do you not throw the towel? Like, what's your mindset to push through that? Um, yeah, that was that was a tough tournament because I, I really felt like uh, prep and everything was was really good, um, and I it was probably that was when the worlds were in late October, right? And yep. I just I dislocated my thumb in September at training camp. Um, and that, like, I thought, I was like, oh, you just dislocated your thumb, it's back. Like, no, that thing hurts. Like, (laughs) there's a big, there's a big ligament in your thumb. And, uh, when that gets dislocated, it it looked disgusting. Um, and then it got, then they put it back into place and it was just swollen. You, you'd be surprised how much you need your thumb for. And then when you even bump it, it hurts. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you think how much time you use your thumb to block and and pull and all those things. Um, so that was when it came to time around time for worlds, I had a, I had a little like cast for a little bit that I would tape on. Um, and that was, that was, that was all right. But you know, you're wrestling at the worlds and yeah, I see that. So the first thing they're going to do is try to break your thumb, like squeeze it harder. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And, and okay, whatever. And then, um, I was wrestling well, and then I, I came into the second match of the tournament wrestling this guy from China that I've, I've beaten before. I'm in a close match, and I make an error and get get tossed for four and uh, with a front head. And then in the process of getting tossed for four, I went I went over my foot and um, or twisted like a twist like a torquing motion, and that's how I uh, I got a high ankle sprain. And walking off the mat, not just in complete frustration that I, I lost that match in that manner. Yeah. Um, I said to Obi, I was like, dude, my foot don't feel right. Like, this is, like, it was it was burning. It was really hot. Um, so it didn't really hurt yet. I'm just like, dude, something's off of this. This, is, this doesn't feel good. Um, and then it just got, like, worse and worse and uh, took some shots. Um and then even that night, like it was, it was bad. I had it chopped up, and I remember getting out of the shower. Like I was like, I don't know how the hell I'm gonna wrestle. Like even going to the bathroom, I was laying there, like just really praying all night because it freaking hurt so bad. Um, and then made it to weigh-ins. And did you think about uh, not weighing in? Like, did you think about saying, "I no, can't that's... do this. I can't even go to the bathroom. How do I go to weigh-ins?" Um, a little bit, but at the same time, like. I knew with a with a shot I can still stand there, um, and then we'll give it a go. 
Yeah. You know, I, I never felt forfeit, and it was extremely frustrating because I felt I really did like kind of every year, dude. I go to the world championships, and I'm I'm tuned up. Like I'm, I feel great. Yeah. I'm healthy. I'm strong. And I'm like, I can't believe this happened. And um, well, let, well, let's see where we got to wrestle, and, and you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, and I'm just I'm just happy that you know we I don't want to say covered it up because I. I'm still able to score takedowns and, and all those things, but it, it was not right for sure. Um, and that's where you got to thank the team doctor and uh, just kind of your effort to go out there and, and keep fighting. Um, and after the fact, you know, you, you couldn't be more proud of yourself because, you know, you, people don't know what you went through, but you know what you went through. And, right. you know, you know I'm, I'm happy this, this very unfortunate stuff happened, but, I still showed up and, and put my shoes on and, and fought, um, which I think are, are, some people do better than others. And um, it's just kind of the, the, the way wrestling is. And that's what makes, um, you know, competitors and, and people that really want to get there, find ways to get there sometimes. And I think it was a press conference you did at that world championships when you, when you talked about cutting out people who you don't want to hear and the naysayers and, and all those people, and I remember you saying you didn't want to get on Twitter and, and hear people saying, like, oh, he shouldn't have lost that guy. And Twitter's so frustrating. And I feel like for me, the more conversations I have where I understand what's kind of going on behind the scenes, the more it frustrates me even more because people do chirp so much and they don't know when somebody's suffering from an injury or they don't know what someone's going through. They just assume you're 100% healthy. They assume that everything's going perfectly according to plan. Like, it's wild. And I'm curious how you learn to tune people out. Because it's hard. Like, you are, and I want to kind of talk about this in a few minutes, but you are very active on social and you're building your brand. How do you kind of tune that out and pick when you tune that out? Um, to be honest, I, I kind of after that, and even, even uh, probably after that was a big, point of it and even a little bit before that like i tell people i'm like there's nothing good on social media and especially if it's about you like wrestling is my livelihood so if it's wrestling related it's in some manner about me whether it's someone what something that someone thinks or what their thoughts are on it and the truth is they're not out there they don't know what's going on right they don't know if this guy's injured or if this guy's hurt, or if he just didn't try that hard that day. So, kind of with every sport, when I see people saying things, I'm like, dude, you don't know. Unless, you're, unless you've accomplished something, then I, I put some, some weight into your voice, but I see a lot of stuff on Twitter. I'm just like, I, I almost like type something up, and I'm like, you know what? It ain't <laughs> worth my time. Right. And you could, and you could look through the, the things that I follow. Yep. There's, I'm looking through my timeline right now, and there's not much wrestling stuff. Interesting. Just, I'm, I'm not interested in it. Like it's, yeah, it's important, but it doesn't, um, doesn't have to do with me. Like it, you know, my job is to go out there and club your head and get your legs and take you down and turn you over. Right. Um, it's not caring what what this critic says or what this guy says or. You know, you can you can have it. And have you always been point, like that? Zero point on the board. No, I used to look at those things a lot. I used to look at um, rankings and, and this and that, and I watch film and some stuff like that. But getting into it deep and, and being like a um, 
a junkie, as some would say. Like, yep. I don't think it's good. And I even tell guys on our team, on the college team, like, dude, no, there's nothing good on social media. There's nothing good on it. There's nothing. Well, I take it back. There's, there's, there's cool things to look at, but there's not like there's nothing that's going to help you. Well, I feel like that's, that's the big. That's, unless you're number one and everyone's supporting you, which never happens. Right. Even now, Burroughs is number There's one. Everybody says Dake's going to beat him. <laughs> yeah, so the guy hasn't lost in nine years, and now now he's top liver. Right. It's a very what you have know? you done and for then, me lately sport. <laughs> yes, there's nothing good. That's why I was just like, I cut everything out. I don't follow any wrestling pages on Instagram. I follow some foreign stuff. Um, and my, my Twitter timeline is MMA, country music, and, and some friends. Like, and you how know, do you, no how do you balance how do you balance building your brand when you know you are very active and, and you you tweet about a lot about uh, NC State and you know you are active but how are you balancing building your brand with you know kind of tuning out and ignoring the vast majority of social, um, which is probably. <laughs> I don't always do a great job at it. It's probably why I don't have the amount of followers as, as someone like uh, our man, uh, PD3, that they'll be tweeting at eggs. Um, <laughs> and getting in fights with people with no followers. Right. Um, you know, that, I, I'll say that holds me back if, if, if that's it, you know, but that's a compromise I'll take to sure. have the peace of mind and the, the enjoyment that I have because yeah, I, I like looking at a lot of different things on there and, uh, and seeing what, what my friends are up to or what different people are up to or what's going on in the news. Um, but dude, in today's, in today's world, like you could say the sun is shining and someone's gonna, someone's gonna attack you for it. So, <laughs> right. so much that like, I just keep my own thoughts myself. And there'd be times like I have something good written up and then like, I'll think of something like, dude, what if some idiot just comes at me like this? Like, you know what? I'll just keep it to myself. Like, it ain't worth it. Like, that's yeah. a, that stuff bothers me. So, so that, so that part, like, I save a lot of my opinions to myself. And, um, sometimes I, I notice the less you say, um, when you say something, it's got more value. So, there's people that, that talk a lot and say a lot of things. Well, there's a lot coming out of your mouth. So, when the guy that doesn't talk says something, I think, people are more apt to listen sometimes. Sure. And I think too, like, you know, I love Twitter. I love social media, but I I do see the negative sides of it. And it is frustrating. I go to tweet out stuff too. And I'm not even relevant. Like you're relevant. You're on the world team for three straight years. um, And and still there's, there's just such a level of like, I go to tweet something like, I don't want to tweet this because even if 100 people agree, the two people who disagree and are going to start fighting with me, I don't want to deal with it right now. So you have to think about yeah. it constantly. Yeah, for sure it does. And, and honestly, I kind of look forward to the day that I'm not going to be um, – maybe someday I'll, I'll be totally off it or maybe no one will care what I say someday. <laughs> uh, and even if that when that day comes, I probably won't be on social media. So, um <laughs> Maybe I'll find something to keep me busy enough after wrestling that you know I won't have time to <laughs> read everyone's opinion and then think of my own, just go about my own day. I was actually with a friend the other day, and his kids were like, 
oh dad when can we get when can we get social media and the kids are like 12 and 10 he's, <laughs> yep. like, he's like no he's like come on dad i really want it i was like dude you don't want it there's nothing good on there there's nothing that's gonna enhance your life on social media i'll tell you that right now yeah there's a number of coaches that you know i'm in marketing for a living so we, we we're helping people build websites and build their brand and we're, we're helping people utilize social on that side of it but you know there's a number of different high-level coaches that I talk to constantly that, you know, they have the same perspective of nothing good is going to come from social media. And I'm like, what about brand building? And what about this? And, you know, there's, there's just, there's that conversation of, it's like, yeah, but what do you really, what do you really gain from it? If it's distracting you from your goals and from yeah, conversation. And, there's, and there's people that do a great job at it. Sure. Um, there's people, you know, you work with them that do it. Like mm-hmm. someone like Jordan, that the, the content that he puts out is deep and it's valuable. Um, and then there's people that I feel like flood your timeline with um, just kind of ads. Yep. And then, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. One thing that I like to try to do and um, I don't want to say live by is like, if you look at my Twitter timeline, I'll, I'll actually look at it right now. And if you know who I am, yep. then that that's actually a pretty well, pretty accurate of, of what, what I am, sure. who I am, and the things I say, and how I act, um, and the things I'm into. So, you know, I think someone else that, that's really good with that is James Green. Like, his timeline and the things he say, and you, if you know James, like, that's pretty accurate. Of Yeah, it's a reflection of, of who he is, for sure. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't want to change it to where my Twitter timeline isn't isn't like who I am. So, yep. uh, if, if me having 1,300, or, you know, 10,300 followers and that's me then then let's do it but if, right. if you want me to tweet out uh you know corny motivational stuff that i normally wouldn't say right forcing me, it right yeah you know if, if you want to see a picture of me with uh people i look up to or, or people that i think are cool then that's going to be it um so for you sure get, you get a good idea of that after after looking at like Twitter or Instagram, and then and then knowing who I am too, I think. Yeah, for sure. I keep them in line with each other. Yeah, and that's so important to be true to who you are. You know, I I think social is net positive when you're true to yourself, and you can the only the way I think you're going to use social to for good is either going to be to to motivate, and inspire people, or to build your brand, to connect with people. But none of those things are going to happen if you're not being true to who you are. You see so many people now that want to protect their feed and post stuff that's completely corny, you know, and there, there's yeah, guys. Yeah, corny is a great word for it. Like, like if you're posting some corny, you know, wrestling quote to, to get a whole bunch of followers that are going to retweet it and share it, you know, you can, I, I don't want those followers. And I always get posted on Instagram. I'll post a cool picture of of something that I think is cool, something that um, I enjoyed a lot, like a perfect example of my Christmas party. You know, awesome picture of my team and me, 700 likes. Um, a picture of me doing wrestling something related, 1,400. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, a picture of me and an awesome musician from Raleigh, 500 likes. Picture of me wrestling, 1,300. It's wild, so, right? Like, people, don't, people, don't, people don't give a shit what else goes on. They just want to see the wrestling stuff. Yeah, so like yeah. If I just did wrestling stuff, wrestling stuff, wrestling stuff, yeah, I'd probably have more followers. But I'm more than just wrestling. So, you know, yeah, it's too important. bad you're lost. Yeah. 
Right. Totally. I agree there. So I, I kind of went on a tangent there with, with social and brand building because I'm really passionate with the topic. But I do want to go back to the World Championships. Um, you know, 2017, 2018, and 2019 um, obviously didn't go your way. And I know that frustrated you. What was the mindset after to, you know, I, I kind of is, you know, I guess we'll use the word corny again. But, it, you know, that corny cliche of a setback is a setup for a future success or whatever it is. Like, you, you know, I've been talking to so many of you guys who have such different stories. You have guys that are like Dake is a reigning world champion. Then you have a guy like Taylor who was injured all year. And, you know, different levels of momentum and all that. And I'm curious what your perspective was after the 2019 World Championships heading into the Olympic year. Do you instantly just try to learn from it and say, okay, this is going to make me better now for 2020? Like, I, I heard the one thing you said, too, a while ago on a podcast about not knowing when you're going to need a life lesson. And you might learn something in Budapest that you're going to benefit from in 20 years. And I'm curious, like, sure. does that, like, apply? And I'm the same way, like... As a Christian, there's always things I learn that I don't know when I'm going to need that until it happens five years from now, 18 months from now, whenever. And there's also times when I something happens and I can say, okay, this is going to be useful in six months or 12 months or whatever. You can kind of gauge some of it sometimes. What was your perspective after the World Championships knowing, okay, that didn't go my way. Next up is the Olympics, and I want that more than anything. Um, I, I would say it. That's definitely a, a good way to. I'm glad you brought that up. That's that's a perfect way to remind yourself that like you never know when you need those lessons. And, and for me, um, it definitely sucked. You know, like there's there's no doubt about that. Going out there and, and losing your first match um, in the way that I did. But I, I, you know, you always learn something from it. And I, I, I did. I learned that as much as I think I'm doing, you know, in my training, it's like, well, what am I not doing? How is my how, is, how am I not taking advantage of every possible thing I can be? And there were things I wasn't taking advantage of. I was like, you know what? We're going to start doing this. You know, that was me losing that match was a, was a call. Like, hey, you know what? You're not doing everything. Start doing it. So I added those things in. Um, you know, talking with professionals in the, in the field of sport and having better outlook on things and different mindsets when you go into to, to wrestling matches and that was something I never really had a problem with. And after that, you know, I sat down with a professional and explained how things were. And they're like, Oh, A, B, and C. I was yeah. like, Oh shit. I, I never had a thought of it. You know? Yeah. People said that before to me, but I'm like, ah, I'm good. I don't, I don't have those problems. Right. You know, I, I trained my ass off, went over to Kazakhstan and, uh, so my random guys showed me that I have that problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you don't you don't want to find out in those manners, but sometimes you know, for me, that's how I find out. Um, and people people learn things in different ways. Um, so so that's kind of where I was with that. And it, it took some time, you know, wrestling some matches and losing them. And and even though I'm, I'm you're in a slump, you got to be like, I didn't forget how to wrestle. It's not like I don't know what I'm doing. I've been doing this for twenty years and. And I'm pretty damn good at it if you look at the track record. Right. So it's not like just because you lose one match, you lose all your skill. No, you lose one match and you're like, okay, well, make this adjustment, change this, and look at this a different way. 
I still know how to get out there and wrestle my ass off. I didn't lose those skills just because I lost the match. Right. Um, and, and it, you know, that people think, like, oh, we lost a step, this or that. Like, everyone loses. You know, who, who within our country didn't lose within the past year and a half or two years? Right. Pretty sure everyone did. So, so you know, it happens and you, you figure it out and you go, okay, well, let's adjust and go on. Pretty much everyone in the world has, minus maybe one person. Right. Not even. So, so yeah, people lose and then um, they'll take some time away, figure it out. Um, and in my case, I had to add some things and, and you keep moving. So I think that that's a testament to being a, being a, a realist to where like, all right, you know what? I wasn't just a slip up. I need to, I need to adjust something. Let me adjust it and we're on. Let's keep moving. So. And now you have, you know, I think actually last year after final X, I can't remember it verbatim, but I was, I was standing over in the, in the corner of the map and I remember you saying something. I, I think it was something along the lines of you said something maybe to piles, like I'm still young or I'm not that old or something. Like there was almost this kind of surprise, like, wow, he took out Gable. And I, I think you said something along the lines of like, you know, I'm still, I'm still young or I'm not the old guy yet or something. Um, and I'm just curious about your perspective on the fact that, you know, we do have this new wave of heavyweights that, that are not only really good, but they're getting a lot of attention, like Gable and Kassar and even Mason Paris taking out Cassiope last week. Like these heavyweights are, are fun. They're, they're doing a lot of good, I think, for what for, you know, for the last decade, I think heavyweights have been, been very fun, but historically they haven't been. And they're bringing so much life and you, you have, you know, the competition just keeps getting better. And I'm curious what your perspective is on this, you know, group of young guns heading into the Olympic trials. Like you're, you are still young. You're in your twenties, and yeah, so are they, yeah, that's, right? That's exactly <laughs> like, it. like, like they have. It's just the way it is. Like they're they're in college. There's universities behind them. They have a, a forty match season, um, and they make a lot of people money by being by representing their schools and and people again, on social media, like, talking about them and stuff like that, and, you know, just because I'm retweeting uh, country music lyrics and taking pictures of smoked meat doesn't mean I, I don't know how to wrestle and I don't know how to get out there and, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm not relevant. So it's like, I, I you know, I, I see those things, and the loudest voice isn't the one that wins. I think a perfect example is, like, for how many years did was Travell the best guy in the U.S. at heavyweight? Sure. And how many people had no clue who the hell he was? Right. You know, come a guy from Division Two, and then as good as he was, like he he wasn't that popular. But that doesn't mean he can't wrestle. That guy's an awesome wrestler. So, right. you know, just just because, and and I'm not saying that it's it's bad to have those those, uh, you know, cheerleaders or stuff like that. It's just they're not out there on the mat with you. So. Um, I, I I understand. Uh, I understand that that that's going to happen, and I understand that people always want to see the guy that's there lose and the new guy come in. And I know that the young guys have momentum and this and that. Like it's, I've lived through it. I've been through it. And I've learned right. from it. I've been the underdog and I've been the favorite, and I've learned from both of them. So 
Um, it's <laughs> another reason why I don't look at social media in wrestling stuff. It doesn't have no, no there's no points given out for it. Yeah, so, listen, it doesn't. As many good things as I like about social media from a brand building standpoint, I can never argue with the argument that it doesn't help you achieve your goal of being a world Olympic champion. It just doesn't. No, and, and you're right. If you if you're trying to to build your brand or build a business and, and get your get your 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 product or your name out there, it's a perfect thing for it. Yep. But you know, if you have some, if you have a professional doing it or an agent that does it on your behalf, stuff like that, you know, that's I think that's better than you you reading all that stuff a lot. Sure, and and you, you know, you, if you're not if you're not prepared for it, you know, you'd be like, "Damn, I thought this guy was on my side." Now they're bashing me. How'd that happen? Right. Oh, that's the nature of the business, buddy. They didn't tell you that when they were kissing your ass. Right. You'll and, find out on your own. They'll be they'll be right behind you one second, next second they'll have the headlights blaring and, and calling you out for for losing a step. Yeah, so. it, it, it's wild, and I think you have to to be. Even if you're prepared for it, I think you have to be kind of headstrong to ignore it. Like, I hate when people talk okay. negative about me. Thank God I'm not that relevant, so there's not that many people that are talking <laughs> about me. Period. But I, I hate it. You yeah. know, if it, it just it irks me because I think you try to be a good person. So when somebody doesn't like you, or when someone disagrees with you, or when someone doesn't know the whole story, it does take the bigger person to just kind of walk away and, and ignore that. So I, I'm not surprised that that's the mindset of a lot of high-level athletes. It's like, man, I'm not going to sacrifice what I think it takes to win a gold medal just, you know, for some more followers. So, yeah, I agree with you there. So what, one final question, you know, you mentioned like post-wrestling, you know, not knowing what you want to do. Do you have any idea of what you want to do when, when, you're, when your competition career is over? Um, I'm not really sure. There's a, there's a lot of things that, that I think about, um, that I think I would enjoy. I definitely like, uh, coaching wrestling. Um, I like, I like seeing people improve. And I think the, the opportunity to, um, have the impact on a, a person's life the same way that my coaches had had an extremely positive influence on my life would be totally. amazing to, to even try to emulate. Right. Um, but there's also things that interest me outside of wrestling. Um, I have some interest in, in some real estate that I own. Um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like there's a, there's a skill set I developed that when I talk to people outside of wrestling, they're like, they're, they're super interested in what I do. Sure. And to me, it's kind of boring, right? Because I live it. Right. Um, but it's it's super interesting. And for other people, the average person does not have my experience in in stressful situations or, or just being a world-class something. Yep. You know? For sure. I, I think the, the commonalities between a world-class investor or, or a world-class athlete they're very similar. There's attention to detail. There's there's hours there's diligence, that go behind. Right. Yeah. Yes. And and it is. Yes. No. I, I don't know my way around the stock market, but do I have those skills that that can can overlap for sure? Yeah. There's there's training that will take place, but you know I don't I don't think that's the hardest part when I talk to more and more people. 
I think the hardest part is just having the willingness and the the um, the motivation to keep getting after it, and the the knowledge to work smart and work diligently and, and be excited about what you're doing. And I don't know. I just feel like the skills that I've I've learned through this wrestling, I want to I want to put in some different uh, some different field. But I also feel like I've I've learned too much in this sport just to uh, just to let it marinate in my own mind and not share it with anyone. So yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more on both those levels. I think one there's that level of wanting to give back to the sport because it has given you so much. And at the same sense, I don't think, you know, it's always, I, I don't get sick of when, when people come on the show and they're like, look, and I'm a wrestler, but a wrestler isn't just who I am. Like I'm so much more outside of a wrestler. And I think that's why you see guys like, you know, Taylor running different businesses on the outside, including a juice company. And you have these guys who I think you said it best, like being a world-class something, look at, you know, the success I've had in business is because I've done on the business side, what you've done in the wrestling room. Like it's hard work, it's discipline, it's attitude, it's effort showing up on time, like being successful in business and other areas are the same thing. So you've already acquired the skills that you've done the hardest thing, which is conditioning yourself to be successful at something. And if you have the skill set that you understand more than just wrestling, why not ex expand and explore those areas for sure? Yeah, and the people you're you're competing against in the in in other fields don't have that same experience. So when you're used to going past the finish line, and they're used to coming coming close to the finish line, you're gonna blow them out of the water. It's it's simple, and you're like, oh, that that wasn't that hard. But for the average Joe, it's like, oh my god, they asked this right. to me and this to me and this to me. Like, dude, if, if I did that much, I you know I, I wouldn't have wrestled in college. Right, and that's why I always tell people like same thing with a lot of a lot of uh, world class athletes. Like, dude, you have a a tremendous skill set, and and it's a skill set more than just picking up people's legs or slamming them to the mat. It's it's a work ethic, it's an understanding, it's it's a lot of things. So for sure, and even for me, I wrestled in the middle school and high school, and I was never any good. But I think the discipline it taught me and the work ethic it taught me led to my success outside of the wrestling room. Like, I'm I'm grateful that. I don't want to say I'm grateful that I wasn't any good, but I'm grateful that I learned what I did and I never got hung up on not being good in wrestling because God had a different plan for me. And there's a lot of things that I do now that I can relate back to. And, you know, I was able to take my love for the sport and help guys like Cal and Burroughs and David and so many in the sport, like on the marketing side. So I think it's important to stick to, to not stick to what you know, but to follow through with, with what kind of different skill sets you have. So, yeah, man. Yeah, you never, you never hear anyone like, "Oh, I wish I didn't wrestle." Oh, that's never. Sucks. I'm glad I didn't do that. People are always like, "Man, I, I, I did it for a month and then I quit," or, "Man, I should have stuck, stuck with it." Was you know, I was, I was just a wimp at that time, and then I went and played basketball. Like, you know, you never hear people like, "Oh, I should have got out of it." It's always, "I should have done more. I should have stick with it longer." Yeah, it's definitely the greatest sport on earth. I think. All right, cool, man. Thanks for calling. I appreciate talking, and uh, hopefully for, some, some people give us a listen and enjoy what we, uh, what we had to share. For sure, man. And I'm going to link up all your all your social media. So for, for people who don't just want wrestling pictures, and look at I'm one. I, I smoke a lot of meat on my Traeger, so I'm interested in the smoking stuff. <laughs> the wrestling content, yeah, there's an abundance I, of. <laughs> I smoked a chicken and two turkey breasts uh, yesterday. And uh, I got a charcoal grill with a kind of like a smoking box that I put in there. And yep. 
I, I like to eat, and I got the free time, so might as well. I'm right there with you, man. All right, well, listen, thank you for your time, and I'm sure with all these events coming up, I will see you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you. Awesome, man. And that is today's show. Thank you for tuning in and for listening. Let me know what you thought of today's conversation. Send me a message, tag the show, send me an email, leave a comment, whatever you want to do, but I'm trying to be consistent with the guests that come on while maintaining a good variety for the show, so let me know what you think, and if you're new around here, there's so much more to listen to. Be sure to go back through the archives, listen to the other episodes and, and conversations that have been published so be sure to subscribe subscribe on apple podcast google podcast spotify wherever you listen and be notified when new episodes dropped and if you are interested in apparel or merchandise go to shop.bashmania.com and aside from all that i will see you next time see ya and the beat goes on